You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Good morning, everyone. My name is Imperial Lopez. I go to the community group at the Gonzalez's house. And this morning, I'll be reading Philippians 1, 1 through 8. So it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, for you all make my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring to it completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Thank you, Imperial. Uh, Good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, My name is Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Odessa. If you're a guest, thank you so much for being here. You can fill out a Connect card on your way out or scan one of the QR codes and take a minute, fill that out, let us know how we can connect with you, how we can serve you, how we can get you plugged into the life of the body. And if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Um, Andrew will bring you one, and if you're on your phone, we use the ESV. So we're in Philippians, and I have been looking forward to this series all year. Uh, The book of Philippians was written to a church, and what we see in this book is that Paul is very loving and very pastoral. And so I've just been looking forward to diving into Philippians together with you all. This letter hits on some very important themes uh, in all places and in all times. But I think the themes are going to be very timely for us with where we're at as a church. And so this letter is going to talk a lot about joy and contentment as Paul writes from prison. Uh, This letter is going to talk about the need for unity in the body as there is division that occurs within this church. This letter is also going to push us towards mission as we take a look back at the origins of the church of Philippi and our own origins as a continuation of the missionary efforts of the early church. And then this letter is going to push us to deep community with one another as a people who are saved by God's grace, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And all of this will be towards the glorification and adoration of Jesus. And so as we open the book of Philippians together, um, my hope is that this book spurs us on to love for Christ and a desire for holiness in our lives and a deeper commitment to one another as the people of God. And so let's pray, and we're going we're gonna to just hop in. Lord Jesus, we need you. We are thankful people. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in us through Paul's letter to Philippians. Lord, I pray that you would push deeply on us 
uh, our need for you and our need for the church and our need for community and our need for others. Lord, may we just see that by your grace and mercy, you are calling us to something deeper. Lord, may we be people that are marked by joy regardless of our situations. Lord, just use these next few weeks as we invest deeply here in this, in this beautiful letter from a pastor to a church. Church, if you're willing, I'd ask that you'd pray for yourself, that the Lord would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed and conviction where conviction is needed. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your holy and precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, Philippians 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is an introductory statement by Paul who wrote the book of Philippians, and he is accompanied by this guy, Timothy, who is Paul's young protege, if you will. Paul writes this letter from prison in Rome, and according to Acts 26 through 28, Timothy is in Rome at this time near Paul. So Timothy's not in prison, but he's able to visit Paul in prison. And so it's possible that Paul actually dictated this letter and Timothy wrote it down on the papyrus and, and sent it back to the church of Philippi. The technical term for this is called the amanuensis. It's the person that writes the letter. So Paul also, if you'll notice, doesn't spend any time going over his credentials as an apostle. He doesn't spend any time going over he and Timothy's titles. Paul could have spent ample time validating himself and propping himself up in order to ensure that the Philippians really, really, really would take his message seriously. If there is any Christian at any point in history that is worthy of some kind of distinction, it's the Apostle Paul, right? I mean, Paul has this radical conversion story. Paul also knew the scriptures better than anyone because of his former life as a Pharisee in Judaism. He had planted churches all over the world that were planting churches. He was making disciples who were making disciples. Paul was leading many people to Christ. So yeah, if there's anybody in history that should be able to say, Look at me, I'm crushing it as a believer. It would be the Apostle Paul. And then you have Timothy, who is the son of a Greek father and a Jewish mother, and he's a believer, who is an elder in the thriving church of Ephesus. They could have just built a foundation on their credentials as men of God, but they don't do that. Paul says, hey, we're just servants of Jesus. And if you consider Paul's conversion, though, it makes sense as to why he exhibits this type of humility. Paul was one of, if not the most religious person of the day. And yet, he realizes that his religious devotion could not make him 
righteous before a just and righteous and holy God. His religious devotion, his good works would not and could not save him. And ours won't either. Because even in our best moments, we're still so insanely sinful because it's in our nature. And there are consequences for these sins. And those consequences are that apart from the grace of Jesus, there is separation from God and his gifts for all eternity. So the Apostle Paul needed Jesus. And he needed Jesus' work on the cross to forgive him of his sins and purchase his salvation. So when Christ intercedes in your life, he changes your heart. So now all the things that you want to boast in give way. You're not meant to boast in your good works. You're not meant to boast in your bank account. You're not meant to boast in anything else but the work of Christ to you in your life. Our good works are nothing but filthy rags, the scriptures say. We have nothing to offer the Lord in and of ourselves. Our righteousness as Christians is not found in anything but the work of Jesus on the cross, and it's completed through his resurrection and his ascension. There is nothing good in us that warrants this righteousness, and in fact, our hearts are so wicked and opposed to God that what we really deserve is death and punishment. It's only by the love of God for creation that moved Jesus to condescend to us and redeem us by his great grace and by his great mercy. So if you've received this grace and mercy through faith in the sacrificial death of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, then if you look at verse 1, then you are a saint. Sainthood unlike the Catholic understanding of saints, is bestowed on you as a believer simply because you are in Christ. This is not received through piety. This is not received through performance. This is not received through ritualism. But because Christ has changed you from an enemy of God to saints. We who were once children of Adam enslaved to our sin, are now children of God, freed from our sin, and adopted by the love of God to us. So as we walk through Philippians together over the next couple of months, ask yourself this now. Is this me? Is my faith in Christ? Am I in Christ? That's different from being like a cultural Christian or a religious Christian. Like maybe you're here because you think you're supposed to be here. Checking some religious boxes and then trying to make yourself feel better because you think God is going to be more happy with you if you do all the stuff and do all the right things. And I want to tell you that you can never, ever do enough to meet the payment that your sin requires you to make. And that's actually really good news to you. Because you have forgiveness. Because you have forgiveness available to you through Jesus. You don't have to try to earn your salvation. And you don't have to try to earn your right standing with God. That has been done for you. 
So now you can just be a restful worshiper, thanking God that he has done the work that's required of us. It's possible to sit through a worship service and not be a follower of Jesus. If you are in Christ, you will know you are in Christ because you know Jesus through a relationship with him. You will have spiritual blessings from Christ. But if you're not in Christ, you will not know Jesus, and you will not have the spiritual blessings of grace and peace that Paul talks about in verse 2. You see, Paul ends his greeting with grace and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So just to define a couple terms, grace is the free, spontaneous gift of God in Christ. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God, and this grace has bought our peace. And so when we think of peace, we often think of like peaceful tranquility and ease and good vibes for the Gen Zers in here. Um, And that's certainly part of peace, but peace from God or peace with God are a different type of peace. Peace from God means that our hostilities between us and God have ceased. We're no longer at war with God. We're no longer enemies with God, but now we're his friends. Now we're his children. Peace from God, purchased with our adoption in Christ by his grace given to us on the cross. So Paul has greeted the Philippians And now he gets to the content of his message. Look at verse 3. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Paul, writing from a Roman prison, begins his letter with thanksgiving. I think some of you need to hear that again. Paul, shackled day and night, hands and feet, bound to a rotation of Roman prison guards for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, is thankful. That could be a good place for us to stop, for a lot of us, right? Are you marked by thankfulness? Or are you marked by grumbling and complaining? We'll get in more into that in a couple weeks, but just take briefly take some inventory of your past week. Like, have you spent any time giving thanks to God for the blessings in your life? Or are you just discontent? Paul thanks God as he remembers the church of Philippi. So I want to pause here and go back to kind of the origin story of the Philippian church. It's important for you to keep in mind as you read the Bible that the Bible is not just a bunch of disjointed collection of writings or disjointed stories, but it actually builds on itself and it's organized and arranged into genres. So what we have in Philippians is what's known as an epistle, which is a fancy word for letter. But if you go back to the book of Acts, that is a history book. And so if you'll flip back to Acts 16, um, you see the origins of the Philippian church. There's this guy, his name's Luke. He wrote the book of Luke. 
He is the author of the Gospel of Luke and also the writer of the book of Acts. So again, Acts stands for us as the first book of church history that we have. So the book of Acts begins with the ascension of Jesus and then moves to the establishment of the church of Jerusalem. And then it shows Paul's three missionary journeys as he takes the gospel to the Gentiles. So in Acts 16, we see Paul with Timothy and another man named Silas and and Luke. They land in these regions known as the Macedonian regions. And there's a lot of history in this region that would take hours and several podcasts for us to properly walk through. But here are a couple things that are noteworthy for us. This was founded by a man named Philip II. He's the father of a guy maybe you've heard of, Alexander the Great. Uh, This was founded in 4th century B.C., and it is across what's known as the Aegean Sea from what is presently Turkey. It is what is today near Greece, the country of Greece. So here's what's significant. When Paul and his team landed there, they became the first missionaries to the continent of Europe, which is significant As the calling of God was to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, Paul is taking this calling seriously. And because there is a church in Europe, ultimately there are churches in America. So Paul plants and establishes the first church of Europe in this little colony called Philippi, which is a Roman colony and an important one at that. It was a commercial hub, so they did a lot of business there. They had roads going in and out because the saying, all roads lead to Rome, this was true in the case of Philippi. It was smaller than Rome, but at the time it was kind of known as like mini Rome. Um, They enjoyed the benefits of Rome because they were a colony, but they didn't actually have to be Rome. So Paul and his team land there on a Sabbath, and they're looking for a synagogue. But instead of finding a synagogue, what they found was a group of ladies chilling by a river. One of these ladies was named Lydia. She is a wealthy Asian woman, and and we know she's wealthy because the text tells us she sells purple garments. And so these are garments that are dyed by extracting purple dye out of shellfish, like one or two drops at a time. So to get purple takes a lot of work, and it's very expensive, and Lydia sells them. And so she's sitting by the river, and Paul walks up and begins to teach her about Jesus. And she receives Christ as her Lord and Savior. And not just Lydia, her entire family. She is baptized, as is her entire family. And she then, in radical hospitality, opens her home to these missionaries. That becomes their, their like home base of operations while they're in Philippi. Next, Paul and Silas are walking around the city, uh, sharing the gospel and teaching and, and preaching And they encounter this woman, this girl, um, that has a demon. She's possessed by a demon. 
but she's being exploited. She's a slave. She's being exploited by her owners who use her demon possession as a way to make money. Like she's kind of a fortune teller, if you will. When she encounters Paul and Silas, she starts proclaiming these men are followers of God Most High. Um, and she does this. They go back to the same spot every day. She goes and she follows them day after day. These men are servants of, of, of the Lord God every day. And finally, she breaks Paul down, gets on his nerves. Paul gets annoyed, turns around and casts out the demon. He cast out the demon from the slave girl, and then the owners, realizing that their mill ticket is gone, drag Paul and Silas away and have them flogged and thrown into prison, which is illegal because Paul and Silas are Roman citizens. But while they're in jail, again, they're worshiping. Chained, bound hand and feet in a gross Roman dungeon. They are singing hymns. It's a model of Christian contentment. May that humble us. May we be marked by this kind of love and devotion to Christ. Not that we are only worshiping when things are good, but that we learn from the example of Paul and Silas here, and we can worship even in the midst of suffering. So we have Paul and Silas in this Roman prison And all at once, there's an earthquake. Their chains fall off, and the jailer then realizes that under his watch, he has allowed all the prisoners to escape. So he decides he's going to take his sword and end his life. But Paul intervenes and says, hey, we're all still here. Don't harm yourself. And the Philippian jailer responds, how may I be saved? And Paul then shares the gospel with him. And he receives salvation. This man takes Paul and Silas to the spring in the middle of town and treats their wounds and takes them to his home and he feeds them. He and his whole household receive the salvation of God and they're all baptized. Um, Paul, I thought I was going to get another one. Uh, Paul and Silas then are released because the local government then realizes that they have imprisoned Paul and Silas illegally because Paul and Silas, again, are Roman citizens. So these, the local government asks them, hey, please leave the city. Uh, So Paul, Silas, and Timothy head to Thessalonica, and they leave Luke and Philippi. So in a few short days, we don't get from the book of Acts, it doesn't appear that they're there very long couple weeks maybe. But in a few short days, we see a wealthy woman from Asia converted with her whole family. We see a poor slave girl converted. We see a middle class, like a working class Roman man converted with his family, as well as others. And they all gather in Lydia's home as the first church in Europe. And at that time, at the time Paul is writing this letter, the church in Philippi is 10 to 12 years old, and it's grown significantly. And a man from this church named Epaphroditus shows up and visits Paul in prison with a gift from the church. And this warms Paul's heart as he remembers his time in Philippi. 
And so he prays for them. And he does so joyfully, the text says. Paul says he prays for them all. Every one of them. And I imagine Paul sitting in this prison, praying for each of them by name. Paul is overflowing with thankfulness. This church is far from perfect. But Paul is thankful for them. He could have focused on the negative and gone after them for all the things they were doing incorrectly. But he's encouraged by them. He'll deal with the internal conflict that, that's going on in due time. But for now, he's just joyful. And how is Paul joyful? I mean, he is sitting in a Roman prison. Let that speak to you all. What do you look for to provide you joy? A better job, better kids, better house, more money, a relationship, more likes on your social media. Listen, all of this will fail you. And you will still find yourself wanting more and more and more. And it's because that Jesus is the only source of true and lasting joy. You can have all of this stuff and still be miserable. You can have all of this stuff and still not know the joy of the Lord. Paul is in prison. And the joy of the Lord is his strength. Listen, you can have everything in this life and still have nothing. Because none of it lasts. The only thing that matters is Christ. We can't take a thing with us when we die other than our relationship with Jesus. So stop listening to the lies of the culture. You don't need it. And just whatever it is, you don't need it. This is a call to invest deeply in the things of Jesus. Dwell in Christ through the word of God and through fellowship with the body and in prayer because Christ is the only source of lasting joy. So Paul reflects on this church and then is joyful because of them. But why? Let's look at verse 5. Paul is joyful, verse 5 says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He is thankful for their partnership in the gospel, but there's more here than initially will meet the eye. This isn't purely a financial partnership, though there is some of that because the Philippian church has continued to support Paul's missionary efforts financially. What we're seeing here is this. This is the Greek word koinonia. We often translate this word as fellowship, where it says partnership in verse 5, the word koinonia, your fellowship in the gospel. And I think this is a fair translation if you are willing to elevate your understanding of fellowship beyond the fifth sun Sunday or the quarterly potlucks you used to do in your Baptist churches if you're like me. This is more than just eating in a fellowship hall with people you go to church with. 
This is a shared life. This is friendship. But this is more than just shooting the bull, how's it going type friendship. This is gospel friendship. This is self-sacrificing friendship. This is Christ-centered missional partnership friendship for the sake of the gospel friendship. This is the type of relationship where you are deeply known and deeply loved. This is the Acts 2 model of biblical community. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were gathered together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is radical. This is radical and it is beautiful. This is the type of relationship that pushes one another towards Jesus. This is the type of relationship that is anchored in the scriptures and motivates us to live like the Bible is calling us to live together. This is the type of relationship that allows your brothers and sisters to lovingly lovingly look in your life and encourage you and lovingly confront you when you are in sin and to lovingly shepherd you in wisdom. This is the type of community that's not only a deep sense of what we're striving for, that's not only like, hey, we're all after the same things here as we try to honor Christ in our lives through holiness, but it is also the type of community, and all of you listen to me here, this is also the type of community that gives you a frame for how to deal with conflict within your faith family. There is a desire to be together and a devotion to one another that leads to unity within the body of Christ through the gospel. Within this type of community, we learn about sin and forgiveness. We learn to repent. We learn to serve. And because we are people who have been reconciled to God through the cross of Jesus, we must then be reconciled to one another through conflict resolution. Listen. More times than not, this is not a one-time reconciliation. Because of our sin nature, we are all prone prone to sinning against one another frequently. So we need to reconcile with one another in the way that God has reconciled himself to us. And our reconciliation to one another glorifies Jesus. So Paul's going to push. He's going to push us in this letter to fight for unity. 
And in our individualized society, we have to fight for this type of community as a church. Because none of you like to be told you're wrong. None of you don't want anybody telling you that you're unwise with your money. None of you, none of us, I shouldn't just say you, any of us, none of us like being corrected. It's hard, right? But it is for your good. We have to fight for it because it's important. Tony Marita says it like this. We have a culture of busy loneliness. People do a lot of stuff, but remain extremely lonely. And it doesn't have to be this way. Get a new vision. You need gospel partners. Those united together in Christ by the Spirit from every tribe and tongue who live on the gospel. Friends, friends will fall and friends will fail, but your friends need the same grace and mercy of Jesus that you need. But you need more than friendships. You need coworkers in the gospel, partners in mission with you. So that's why we push community so hard here. We need one another. We need people in our lives asking us the hard questions. We need people pushing on us to be more like Jesus. And also, within community, your desires and your affections for the Lord should also be growing as you are walking alongside of people who are trying to follow Christ. We can't just hang out. We can't just have lunch. We can't just get coffee and never talk about what the Lord is doing in our lives. We can't just sit around and pretend and fake like we're okay because we're not. Like we all know it, we're not. I'm not okay. You're not okay. You quote the devil when you declare yourself okay. We all have sin in our life that we need to confess and repent of. And another reason we push community so hard here is it's so hard to carry heavy loads by yourself. You can't practice the one another's of scripture or be cared for by the church if you are walking in isolation. Right? If you're the only one, there is no one another. And the New Testament is filled with commands to love one another, to care for one another, to bear one another's burdens, to honor one another, to serve one another, and on and on and on we could go. But this implies that you are a member of a church and a faithful member of a church, not just having your name on some list and not just popping in and out when it's convenient. You can't be obedient to Jesus. You can't be obedient to the scriptures if you are living in isolation and not invested in a church. It's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable if we get too comfortable. We need to confess and repent and do so within the context of community. Because we are all trying to follow Jesus together. 
So my encouragement for all of you is this. If you don't have people in your life willing to say hard things to you, then get some new people. If you are unwilling to say hard things in love to the people in your life, then really consider your investment in their lives. This is the type of fellowship that Paul is pushing us towards. If all we have in common is Jesus, then we can do life together. We can acknowledge our differences culturally or whatever else they may be and move forward in unity and in love for Jesus and our work of mission that he has called us to. Joy and contentment are only found in Christ. And they are only realized within the body of Christ as we are all co-laborers with Jesus. So I'd call you back, all the way back, Acts 16, to the first days of the church of Philippi. They were people made up of different races. They were people made up of different socioeconomic statuses, different genders, different life stages. And they were together in unity, pursuing the Lord together. And if you don't know this joy, you may not know Christ. Or you may not have participated in cultivating the relationships you need in order to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Listen, it takes practice and it takes intentionality to live this way. And you're not going to get it perfect every time or even ever. It's also very anti-American and certainly very anti-West Texan uh, because it takes some level of vulnerability and humility and just being secure in your personhood and being secure in who God has called you to be in order to live like this. But every time, every time you confess, Every time you confess to your group or to uh, somebody in your church and you allow them to minister to you, the Spirit blesses you with a better understanding of the gospel and a better understanding of the love of Jesus who has forgiven you. You get to experience through confession, through saying, I am messed up. And Jesus speaks love back to you. You get to experience the love of Jesus to you through the church. Community is a gift to you. Confession and repentance are a gift to you. Conviction is God's kindness on you because he is saying to you, you're mine and I have something better for you. So Paul adds this to his thankful thankfulness that he's just thankful for their partnership in the gospel. Let's look at verse 6 and 7. And I am sure of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So Paul's talking about our sanctification which is a fancy word for our growth in Christ. The gospel isn't a one-time occurrence in our life. It is also the means by which we grow in Christ. If you're in a community group right now and that's going through the gospel-centered life, um, it, 
uh, Will Walker and Bob Thune say that the gospel isn't just the means of our salvation, but it's also the means of our transformation. So coupled with this discussion on community, when a person is saved by grace through faith in Christ, they bear fruit in their life, as is evidenced by their salvation. And the longer a person is in Christ, the more their salvation will become evident as they grow in Christ. We will never be without sin while we're on this earth. But through the work of the Spirit, repentance ought to be quicker, and repetition of sin will be less frequent as the Lord sanctifies us in himself and through his word. And so rest assured, Christian, maybe you aren't where you think you should be. Maybe you're not where you want to be in your relationship with Jesus. Spoiler alert, none of us are. But Christ is not done with us. There's grace, there's mercy, and because of the faithfulness of the Lord, he will bring about our growth in him to completion in him in his time. When he returns, we will be with him in perfect glory. Paul is putting himself and all of us on equal footing before the cross. We are all Christians. We are all recipients of this grace of Jesus. So we can be assured then, Christian, that God is not going to leave us where we are. He will grow us, and he will develop in us more of himself. Verse 8, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul demonstrates his affections for this church. He loves them with the affection that Christ has for them. And I think that's an important reminder for us. You've been saved. You've been called into a family. You've been called into a relationship with Jesus by the cross and resurrection. And you've been called into a relationship with his bride, the church. You have been called to community. You have been given the assurance of pardon. And Christ's work in us is not over. Because, Paul says, we have the affection of Christ on us. In love, Christ came. In love, he rescues. In love, he redeems. In love, he has given us the blessings of being his son or his daughter. In love, he has given us Christian community in order to grow in us himself. In love, he sanctifies us through his word because Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us in spite of us. Christ Jesus has placed his seal of approval on you if you are a Christian. Jesus has paid for your sin. Fatal debt removal through himself. This is the type of love that Paul describes in a non-rom-com type of love, you know. Like, this is lasting love. This is sacrificial love. This is the type of love that God requires of us to one another. And this love has been poured out for us through himself. Do you know this love? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you received this love? Are you walking in obedience to God? Are you burdened with the cares of life and the cares of this world? Do you know this type of love? 
Do you know this type of joy that Paul is talking about here? Listen, Jesus endured the cross. Not so you could continue to live however you want or continue to live for yourself or continue to hide, but to know him and to have fellowship with him and to have fellowship with others who are also living for him. The calling of Jesus isn't to clean yourself up, but to come to him because he's inviting you into his love through faith and forgiveness. All you have to do is confess that you need him and he will never cast you out. Are you tired of walking in sin and shame? Are you tired of trying to do life all by yourself? Jesus is offering you something better. He's offering you himself. That is available to you this morning through faith and repentance. So receive his forgiveness this morning. Let's pray.